Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. My name is Lucas. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I just want to continue to thank everyone that is uh, finding this podcast and is sharing it. Um, Just another big, big milestone is being hit. I'm up to almost 300 total listeners. My recent episode on Coldplay has reached up to 145 listens, as well as my Metallica episode has gotten up to about 130, and so I'm just continuing to be blown away by the love and support that I'm getting, and so thank you so much to everyone that is listening from all around the world. We've got people in the U.S., Brazil, Mexico, uh, the Philippines, Norway, uh, saw recently that there's people listening in Indonesia and Denmark and Portugal. So everyone around the world that is somehow finding this podcast, thank you so much for listening. I'm hoping that you're enjoying what you are listening to. Hopefully you're um, getting some of your favorite bands spotlighted and maybe discovering some music you haven't listened to before. So um, just spread the word. And hopefully you'll continue to listen. I've got a lot of big plans that I want to bring to this podcast as I continue to figure out this medium and want to start to upgrade. I do want to get uh, an official intro put together at some point in the near future. And uh, I'm also looking at getting a co-host to join me just to kind of liven things up a little bit so you don't just have to listen to me drone on for a long time. But um, just continue to keep up with this. Uh, I also finally figured out how to find myself on Apple Podcast. Um, I just ended up just typing my name in and was able to find it. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, It'll give you a a notification every time I get a new episode up. And uh, again, just continue to share. Uh, I'm also on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Uh, Obviously, you guys know that. (laughs) Otherwise, you would not be listening to this podcast. Um, But I really, really do appreciate it. I have had been convinced for a while that this podcast would not be uh, very much cared by a lot of people, that this is just something I would do for me, and it is something that I am doing for me, but um, just the amount of listens and the amount of uh, support that I've gotten for this with only three episodes is just, it's completely blown my mind. So I know I sound like a broken record, but just again, thank you. Whoever and wherever you're listening from, just thank you so much and just continue to come back. This podcast is only going to get better and better. Uh, If you have not already, please go and find my Spotify playlist. You just type into the search bar Lucas Chrisman and that's all one word lowercase L-U-C-A-S-C-H-R-I-S-M-A-N and follow me and follow my Good Music Podcast Edition playlist. That is where you're going to find all of the songs that I'm going to be talking about each week. Um, I really want to make sure that uh, you're listening to the songs as well as listening to this episode. I know it's asking a lot, but just I promise it will 
make the experience so much more fun because you're going to actually get to hear a lot of them talking about. I'm starting with some fairly popular artists, but as this go on, I'm going to start getting into perhaps artists that you're unfamiliar with. And so um, really take the time to investigate the songs that I'm talking about each week. And the Spotify playlist is the easiest place to find that. If you don't have Spotify, um, that's okay. Just whatever streaming service you use, listen to the songs in the order that they're presented in. Um, I always craft them in a way to where they have this nice emotional arc from start to finish. And um, that's kind of where the real labor of love comes in is just finding the perfect set. If this is your first time listening, just giving you a bit of a background, uh, I was uh, I was informed through some feedback that I haven't really talked a lot about myself. So um, just a little bit more about me. Um, I've been listening to music for, um, I mean, I guess everyone's been listening to music, but as far as doing it in the way that I have been, been doing it for about 12 years now. I actually didn't listen to a whole lot of music until I was about 14 years old. And my dad, who I will be eternally grateful for doing this, just came to me and said, son, I'm going to make you do this and it's going to be for your own good. He gave me a hard drive with all of his favorite music on it and said, I'm going to make you listen to this because I know that if you listen to it, you're going to like it. And so, um, he was right. Uh, the first artists I remember listening to were Coldplay and Journey and Genesis and kind of a lot of that, um, a bit, a good mix of like 2000s alternative, which was the time when I was given this hard drive and a lot of great seventies and eighties mixes. And that's where it started, and I just kind of just started to develop my own path from there on, continuing to find stuff throughout the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and more recently the 90s. The 90s has been a bit of a newer decade for me to kind of tap into, but it just it really opened a whole new world for me. And shortly after that, I purchased I, – well, I didn't purchase it. My parents got me the f- my first Guitar Hero game. And that opened up a whole other world of rock and roll, hard rock, and heavy metal music, as well as progressive music as well. Through the Guitar Hero and Rock Band games, I discovered bands like Metallica and Rush and Dream Theater and Iron Maiden and Muse and a lot of my favorite artists. And so um, that was another thing that really impacted how I found and how I listened to music and what music I listened to. So um, I've been playing music for a long time as well. I've been playing drums since I was about 14 years old, and I've been playing bass since I was 17. Uh, I can I took piano lessons when I was little, didn't really catch on to it, and then about probably four or five years ago, I... I kind of rediscovered it and self-taught myself. I'm not a great piano player, but I like to say that I dabble and um, can play like really mediocre guitar, but uh, I would not classify myself at all as a guitar player. Um, But yeah, so that's a bit kind of where I come from musically and just uh, about probably five years ago when I discovered Spotify is when I really started to get into set listing and... Uh, found a new way of discovering 
music and discovering music in a way that I also got to make it almost an artistic uh, creation of my own, which was a, a really satisfying thing for me. And it's a big reason why I'm doing this now, this podcast. Um, just my love of finding songs and putting them together and um, just really trying to create something from what other artists have already made and perhaps create a new interpretation of it based on a song order. Um, Spotify really gave me the ability to experiment with that. And so, yeah, so that's kind of my musical background. And, um, yeah, so the reason I'm doing this podcast is, again, just kind of scratching that itch of getting to set lists, but also um, I want to be able to share and educate you in the music that I'm listening to. Um, I'm a big believer that you can't enjoy music in a vacuum, that when you have the context and you know what goes on around the music, that it does enhance what you're listening to. And so my goal is to provide knowledge, to provide the background, to provide the context of what the music that I'm talking about has. So that way when you listen to it, maybe you'll hear a side of it you've never heard before because you understand maybe perhaps what was going on in the world at that time, uh, where the artists were, where they were on their emotional and personal journeys, um, what events were shaping the lyrics and the songs around them. So I found that whenever I find these things out, the songs just become more alive to me. And so that's what I want to do. And just, I love music. Music is one of my deepest passions. And this is just such a fun way for me to be able to, um, to be able to engage in that passion in a way that maybe perhaps not a lot of other people are doing. So, um, so that's kind of the purpose and the inspiration for this podcast. So let's go ahead and jump in to this week's featured artist. This week, we're looking at a group called Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Um, Steely Dan is actually only comprised really of two core members, and that's Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Donald Fagan is the uh, main vocalist, as well as he played a lot of the pianos and um, synthesizers and pretty much anything keys-related in the band. He didn't play all of them, but he played quite a bit of them. Then Walter Becker started off as the bass player, transitioned to guitar player, but I'll explain a little bit more about this later. But they, uh, Walter Becker didn't play on a lot of Steely Dan records, but he sure did write a lot of them. The biggest, most important thing that Fagan and Becker contributed to the band is that they wrote all the songs and they knew how the songs were going to turn out and they did whatever they could to achieve that sound. Steely Dan is a, uh, they were mostly around in the 70s. That was kind of when they had their big heyday from 72 to 80. And then they took a really long break, came back in the 90s, released a couple more albums and have toured ever since. Um, But yeah, the 70s is mainly what everyone looks at because that was when they released the majority of their albums. And that's just the time that they were 
um, that they were the most relevant. To describe Steely Dan's sound, pretty much it's like a rock, pop, jazz hybrid, kind of melding all those things together, R&B, soul, um, just really creating something that no one else ever had created and no one ever has since. Steely Dan is so unique sounding and so original as far as the things that they combined and the way that they wrote songs that there's just, there's literally no one else like them. Steely Dan is kind of like a, um, a singularity. They're just, they're so, um, they're so special in just the way that they sound. And that's one of the things I really, really like about them. You know when you're listening to a Steely Dan song. Not only is Donald Fagan's voice just so recognizable, but just the way that all of the instruments are playing, um, the incredible production value to all of their music. That's one of the one of the key components of Steely Dan was just they were probably the the best sounding band of the 70s and really kind of revolutionized a lot of the way that uh, especially drums were mixed. Um, a lot of 70s drums have become really dated sounding, but just about everything Steely Dan did still sounds really fresh, really crisp, and just sounds like something that could have been released today. So uh, getting into their history, uh, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker met in 1967 in Bard College, which was in New York. Um, both of these guys are, are hardcore New Yorkers. They love, they love this city. And um, Donald Fagan heard Walter Becker playing in a practice room and just was really amazed by him. said he thought that he was actually a black musician, just the way he was phrasing and courting out. And... They discovered that they both had a lot of similarities in what they listened to, and they just started to write some songs together. Formed a lot of uh, bands early in their career, including one that had uh, Chevy Chase as their drummer, which Chevy Chase being the comedy actor uh, from the Vacation movies and Saturday Night Live. Um, After they graduated from Bard College, they uh, went to go be studio songwriters for ABC. Um, But they kept getting into trouble for writing songs that were just too complex and too hard for um, the session musicians to play. And so uh, they were advised to just form their own group and to um, just give them the uh, give them the song so that way they could execute their own vision for what they were writing. And so that's when we got to Steely Dan. Um, they were joined by uh, several musicians. Not all of them would really stay, but they uh, did find a longtime guitarist in Denny Diaz who played on a lot of tracks all the way through 1980. Um, everyone else that joined with them just stayed for uh, the first couple albums. And uh, an interesting thing early in their career as far as their lineup is that they actually had a different lead vocalist starting off. His name was David Palmer. And the reason they got another singer is Fagan originally was the singer, but he had a lot of stage fright and just was really anxious about singing on stage. 
And um, he also had a really just different sounding voice. And a lot of the record executives thought that um, David Palmer had a more conventional and pleasant sounding voice and would be a lot more commercially appealing. And so um, Palmer sings a good bit on their first album and sang pretty much every song on their first tour. Um, so with that, the first iteration of Steely Dan was born, and there wasn't anyone in the band named Steely Dan. The name actually comes from a book called Naked Lunch, and it's named after a steam-powered um, feminine toy. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. I don't want to be too crass on this podcast, but I'll let you fill in the blanks there. Um, so that that should give you a different opinion whenever you listen to Steely Dan again. There, Steely Dan was a very um, was a very edgy band, but always tried to do it in a really subtle way. You look at all of Steely Dan's lyrics, and they pretty much exclusively deal with perverts and losers and outcasts and people struggling with different uh, anxieties and. Um, insecurities there's usually never a hero of the story they never wrote like true genuine love songs they didn't write feel good songs even if the music felt good the lyrics always usually had some darker edge to it but they did a really good job of always kind of masking it with a lot of um with a lot of great melodies and a lot of clever wording they didn't just kind of come out they weren't a controversial band but when you really look into their lyrics, you kind of find a lot of darker material, a lot darker than what other people were doing in the 70s. So their first album, Can't Buy a Thrill, came out in 1972, and it immediately went big, had three hit singles. Um, I would say their two most recognizable songs that they ever did were off this first album, that being Do It Again and Reeling in the Years. Um, those are going to be kind of the two songs that you're going to hear a lot on classic rock radio. And I, the reason for that being because a lot of their hits later on were not as rock centric, I feel, even though they did have singles that got higher up on the charts. I feel like the reason why do it again and real in the years get more play now is just because they fit better on a classic rock rotation they're more guitar driven a lot more uh a lot simpler structures and they just they feel more like rock songs than say songs like asia and peg and babylon sisters which are definitely have a lot more pop jazz to it than they do rock and roll so, um, yeah, Can't Buy a Thrill was a great start for the band. Um, had a great first tour. Again, David Palmer sang all of the leads uh, on the first tour. But then after they started to go into their second album, which was Countdown to Ecstasy, they made the decision that Fagin should just be their only singer and that he should just get over his stage fright, sing live. And so David Palmer left the band as they were recording. And so Countdown to Ecstasy was released in 1973, but it wasn't as successful. It's not as, uh, it's not as strong of an album, even though, uh, it's got two of my all time favorites on there being Bodhisattva and my old school. 
And those were songs that didn't do well on their initial run, but they've kind of been, like, retroactively been considered among their better songs and get some radio play now. But the band has even come out and said that they aren't a fan of it. They felt like they had to rush through it because uh, they were writing it while they were on tour. Um, And that led to a decision in 1974 while they were working on their third album, Pretzel Logic, that they just didn't want to tour anymore. Walter Becker and Donald Fagan just did not like performing live. They didn't like traveling. They wanted to work in the studio. That's what they loved to do most. And the other members of the band did not agree. And um, pretty much all, besides Fagan and Becker, the whole original band left except for Denny Diaz. But he did not stay as the sole guitar player. They had a lot of session players come in. And so this started the phase of Steely Dan where it was less about having a band but rather having multiple bands, and sometimes those bands could change. They just would they would hear people on different records and go, well, yeah, I like how he solos. Oh, I like that uh, that drum recording. Let's get them for these two songs on the album. And so you wouldn't even have a consistent band all the way through an album. It would just be they would get the right person for that particular song, and if they didn't do well on the other songs, then we'll get someone else. But they did start to have some regulars that worked with them quite often. Some people that would go on to be very, very famous musicians in their own right, such as uh, Michael McDonald, who contributed some keyboards and a lot of amazing background vocals. If you don't know who Michael McDonald is, um, you would recognize his voice. He's got one of the most uh, distinguishable voices in all of music. Um, and then also they were able to snap Jeff Percaro for a while, who Jeff Percaro went on to be the uh, superstar drummer for Toto uh, and laid down one of the greatest drum tracks ever with Rosanna, but um, was a session player before joining uh, or for forming Toto and played on quite a bit of Steely Dan stuff in the 70s. Also, this was the time when Becker switched from being the bass player to being a guitar player but again he didn't play guitar on too many tracks but he definitely was not playing bass anymore and so um yeah pretzel logic released in 74 and this was kind of the beginning of the new way of doing things for um steely dan so that led to another album in 75 which I'll go ahead and stop here and say that from 72 to 77, they released an album every single year, which is just like, that does not happen in today's music uh, business anymore. You're lucky to get an album from someone every three or four years. But man, Steely Dan was just pumping them out, especially once they stopped touring. They were spending a lot of time in the studio. They were um, notorious for being perfectionists. People would say that they would require 40 takes from people. I was, uh, I was watching a, uh, documentary on the making of their Asia album. And I really liked the way one of their session guitarists described it. He said that they would practice, practice, practice until they got it perfect. And then they would practice, practice again until it became second nature. So that way all of the parts that they 
tried so hard to get perfect could sound improvised and sound imperfect, but imperfect on purpose. So it was just, it was that level of commitment and time that they put in the studio to just make the best record that they could. And so Katie Lied was their fourth album that came out in 1975. Um, the band has gone on to say that they have not been a fan of how the album was mixed. They even have an apology on the back cover of the album. This was followed by uh, Royal Scam in 1976. And this was the first uh, album to start their relationship with another legendary drummer, Bernard Purdy, who uh, famously invented the Purdy Shuffle, which, if you remember me talking about Jeff Procaro's drum track on Rosanna, he's playing the Purdy Shuffle. And so um, the the Purdy Shuffle really got um, notable through um, certain Steely Dan tracks. And then uh, Asia, their, let's see, that's their sixth album, came out in 77. And Asia was kind of the culmination of everything that they had been working to up at that point. It's their biggest selling album. It's widely regarded as their best album. It's widely regarded as one of the best albums of the 70s. And it's certainly one of the best sounding albums of the 70s. The number of session musicians that they used on this album is just astounding. They were saying in interviews that um, they would be uh, they would have a band playing, and if they feel like it wasn't working out, they wouldn't just change out you know one or two people or have them move on to another song. They would bring in an entire new band. He said it wasn't like. Um, musical chairs with musicians it was musical bands they would just have a whole other band come in and try the song to try and get it to sound the way that they wanted um they tried to tour after making asia but after musicians started to compare each other's pay they ended up just canceling the tour the musicians didn't want to do it and um, they took a small little break. They didn't release anything in 78 or 79. And there's there were several reasons for that. They um, There were some studio setbacks. One of the first songs they started to release, that they started to record for their eventual 1980 album, Gaucho, um, called The Second Arrangement, was accidentally deleted by one of their engineers. And they were just never able to recreate it in the same way. And then also the record label that they were on was bought out. And so there was a lot of legal stuff about who could release the album, when they could release it, who the royalties were going to go to. And so they had to go through a lot of legal tape. And then Walter Becker had a really bad couple years. He was really being overtaken by his addiction to drugs. He got hit by a taxi in New York and had to be on crutches for a while. And then his girlfriend died of an overdose. And so Becker was kind of in a really rough state at the end of the 70s. And so that also pushed back another album coming out because Becker just wasn't available for those songwriting uh, sessions. But finally, Gaucho was released in 80. It was another big success for them. But... They decided after the album came out that they just wanted to go on hiatus. 
And so the Hyatt's lasted for 12 years. They reformed in 1993, and they finally began touring again. Uh, they had an awesome live album come out in the mid-90s, uh, Alive in America, which was compiled from a lot of different live shows during their 90s reunion tour. And they released two more albums. They released Two Against Nature in 2000 and Everything Must Go in 2003. Not essential listening, although they there there are a couple of good songs on there, but they're 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 good stuffs in the 70s. And uh just toured pretty consistently until unfortunately uh Walter Becker passed away from cancer in uh 2017. And so um, Fagan still tours as Steely Dan, although whether he's going to continue to, I'm not sure. It could have been that he was just, um, because they were in the, either about to start a tour, they were in the middle of a tour whenever he died. And so maybe he was just fulfilling those dates, but um, kind of the, the future of Steely Dan is not quite certain at the moment whether or not they're going to continue on without Becker who is just again one of the two essential components of Steely Dan next to Donald Fagan and so um, yeah so that's Steely Dan's history I have always just been fascinated by them one of the things you're going to hear me say a lot on this podcast is that I am a sucker for pop songwriting And I mean like true pop songwriting, not pop that's top 40, you know, stuff that's going on right now. I don't consider that real pop music. I'm talking about 60s, 70s, 80s pop that was simple, had great hooks, but also just had a lot of nuance and a lot of character to it. Um, Steely Dan just wrote great, great pop music. And that's just what's always drawn me to them. Yes, I really enjoy the musicianship, especially on their earlier albums. I really love listening to what the guitars and the drums are doing. But just, man, the vocal melodies and just all of the little details peppered throughout their songs just make for such a fun listening experience. And so I I will always say that Steely Dan is one of my favorite classic rock artists. And um, when we come back, we're going to look at the six songs that I've picked for uh, us to look with Steely Dan, as well as the bonus songs. So um, we will be uh, right back right here in a moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We're looking at uh, Steely Dan in this fourth episode. Uh, just finished talking about a little bit about the band, my feelings about them, and a bit of their history. And so now it is time to dive into the songs. Again, if this is your first episode, the way that I do this is I pick six songs 
I'm not necessarily picking their best songs or my favorite songs, but or they're even their most popular songs, but rather trying to pick the six songs that flow the best together, that have a uh, emotional ride to them. And so uh, if you are missing your favorite song, don't worry. Um, I know for sure I'm going to return to Steely Dan at some point and do a volume two. So um, in the comments, let me know what your favorite Steely Dan song is, if it made the cut, uh, what you would put on a volume two, and who knows, maybe it'll make it on next time. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into these songs. The first song uh, was a really easy one to pick. It just, it felt right to pick this one first. It's the first song off their first album. It was most people's first introduction to them. It was their first official single they did have an unofficial single come out a little before their first album, but um, it didn't do very well. Not anyone knows it, and, and all of the reissues that Steely Dan has done over the years, they don't ever include uh, that first single. They always consider Do It Again to kind of be the official starting point for Steely Dan, and that just seemed appropriate for me to make it uh, the beginning and the starting point of this set of six. So do it again, man, what a cool sounding song. When those, uh, drums and percussion come in right at the beginning, you kind of instantly know that you're going to get something that's different than your standard rock and roll song. You know that, uh, Steely Dan is not like all other rock bands going on in the early seventies. And, uh, it's also a great introduction to um, Donald Fagan's um, edgy, dark lyrics. Do It Again is split into three verses with the same chorus tagging each verse. And they tell the story of three different people that are caught in a vicious cycle of um, addiction or enslavement to their desires and passions. And so the first verse is about a uh, renegade cowboy that um, can't control his temper and is caught by the law, but finds out that the hangman isn't hanging, and that he'll be on the street tomorrow. And the refrain just says, you'll go back, Jack, do it again, saying that just, you know, he's put on the street, he's just going to go back and do the same thing that he did before. Um, the second verse talks about a spineless lover that knows that his girlfriend is cheating on him, but just can't break away from this woman. And uh, it says that no matter what he does, he will be on his knees tomorrow. He just, no matter how much he wants to quit her to get a healthy relationship, he just finds himself over and over again doing it again going back to the same woman that treats him badly and just can't seem to get out of it. And then the third verse is about a gambler, someone who um, swears that they're not a gambling man, but then they find they're back in Vegas with a lever in their hand. And just someone that doesn't want to be a gambler, doesn't want to um, be constantly losing all of their money but they just can't seem to stop they no matter how hard they try they're always going to find themselves back in the casino 
um, trying to get that chase that high. And so that's essentially what do it again is saying is just people stuck in, uh, the wheels turning round and round. And then one of the other things that really sticks out about the song is, uh, Denny Diaz's electric sitar solo. If you don't know what a sitar is, it's like a guitar, but it's the, uh, the Indian version and, uh, it's got all different strings and it just, it has this really cool sound to it. A lot of, uh, 60s rock and roll, thanks to the Beatles, used the sitar. And it just, it gives, gives it a, a cool texture that you don't hear too much in a rock song that's not from the 60s. And it just, it allowed Do It Again to really stand out. And so, Do It Again just kind of has this sleazy, um, like samba feel to it you're just it's just it kind of it never gets really intense but it just it has this darkness pulsing underneath it but at the same time it's so groovy and so smooth that even though it's got this dark sound to it it's can't you can't help but just kind of boogie along to it and so that was kind of just the magic that steely dan was always able to tap into is these 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 this dark subject matter and even you know dark sounding chords and rhythms but able to marry it with something so smooth and so pleasant to hear that you're always just drawn into it almost hypnotically and so from do it again we head into our second song and that second song is hey 19 hey 19 is off of their 1980 album gaucho and this is a song that for a while I actually did not like very much. Uh, I thought that I didn't really like the lyrics very much. And it's a song that over the years I've really come around on. I still don't think the lyrics are incredible. I feel like there's kind of some, some rhymes that are, um, that are forced, but man, the mix and the fidelity on this song is just incredible just an incredible sounding pop song. Uh, it was their last single to crack the top 10. It's kind of like their their last hit. And uh the song is about a man going through a midlife crisis and he's trying to get with a 19-year-old woman and he's realizing that they literally live on two different worlds. Uh very, made very famous by the line uh hey 19 that's Aretha Franklin she don't know the queen of soul just saying you know kid, it's it's kind of like kids these days don't know who the great um the great musicians were and it's m- even more true today you probably ask a lot of young kids do you know who Aretha Franklin is who knows if they would know the answer or if you were to ask them you know ask them who do you know who Steely Dan is a lot of Young people probably would not know who Steely Dan was or be able to name any song that they had done. And so just, you know, she says, I'm crazy, I'm just growing old. And just saying, we've got nothing in common, we can't dance at all. But he's like trying to hold on, trying to find something to connect on her with because he wants to take her home at the end of the night. But he's kind of conflicting, just like, oh man, is this even worth it? Is this too weird? And so it's just, it's kind of, again, playing into that role of someone that's just, you know, kind of a a perv a little bit, 
and kind of going against his better senses. Um, the song just grooves really well. It's uh, the synthesizer solo that Donald Fagan plays is really pleasant sounding, and it's a sound that he uses uh, in the upcoming bonus song, which I'll talk about even more when we get there. But um, a song that really won me over the more I listened to it, and I really understand why it was uh, a good, a big hit for them. Moving to the third song, we now get to uh, get a song from their legendary 1977 album Asia, and that song is Peg. It's a song about another pervert, this time someone who has fallen in love with a porn star, uh, and has just kind of developed a uh, an attraction to that person and is um, kind of wanting to meet that person and and take them away from that life. Um, this was a song that had a lot of session musicians on it and famously they had seven different guitarists kind of compete with each other to play the guitar solo and Jay Graydon was the one that finally won and there is some footage of them showing what the other guitar solos sound like and it's understandable why Steely Dan just were relentless in finding the perfect one because by the time they got to Jay Graydon, you hear his solo. It's one of the best parts of the whole song next to uh, Michael McDonald's amazing backing vocals. Whenever he's singing, Pen, it will come back to you. Uh, just Michael McDonald just steals the song with his, uh, with his background harmonies. And, um, Peg just, man, has such a great feel to it. I love, this is a song I really love to play along to on the drums. I don't like playing uh, loose um, type of drum grooves like that, but I really like playing along to Peg. It's just, it's got a great um, groove to it. I love the uh, the key horn in part at the beginning, and it's just it's just a great pop song. There's not a lot of complexity to it, but... They worked, this was one of the tougher songs they said to put together in the studio, just because they had a very specific way they knew that they wanted it to sound. And so, moving to the fourth song, we head into my personal favorite Steely Dan song, and that is Ricky Don't Lose That Number. This was the opening song on their third album, Pretzel Logic, and it was actually the highest charting song they ever had. It made it all the way up to number four. Hey, it's actually really sad that they never had a uh, number one song. They never were able to hit the Billboard Top 100 with any of their singles. They had several albums that did, but uh, never had a single that did. Ricky, Don't Lose That Number, was the closest they ever got. And this also features my favorite lyrics in any Steely Dan song when I kind of finally picked up on what the song was about, or at least what I felt the song was about, it made it that much more interesting. I haven't ever found an official explanation of what it is, but from the way that I listened to it, I see it as about a delusional man, or maybe even a stalker that's trying to win an uninterested woman. He's trying to convince her to go on a date with him. He's trying to tell her that, they're going to be together, that they're perfect for each other. 
and he just won't take no for an answer, and he just gives her his number and says, Ricky, don't lose that number. You don't want to call nobody else. And just kind of his, each verse kind of shows him getting more and more confident or more delusional the way that you look at it. At first, he's kind of hinting around, um, you know, wondering maybe you'll have a change of heart. And then uh, by the second verse, he's being a little more aggressive, um, telling him, you know, hey, you don't need to run away. You can, you know, stay with me. We'll find something fun to do and you will have a change of heart. And then the third verse is much shorter, but he, I love the verse that says, uh, you tell yourself you're not my kind, but you don't even know you're mine. And it's just, you know, just the insane confidence and delusion that he has that this woman just wants to be with him. She just doesn't know it yet. And so I just, I really kind of love the, uh, the dissection of just kind of this insanity that this guy has for this girl. And something really cool, and this was a really cool thing that my dad told me. So my dad was in a group called For Him. And in the mid-90s, they had uh, a producer named Michael Amardian. And um, my dad said that we were listening to Ricky Don't Lose That Number and my dad said that the piano playing on that song was played by his producer, Michael Amardian. And that just blew my mind and made me love the song even more. So um, before he was a producer for several of my dad's albums in the 90s, he was one of Steely Dan's go-to piano players. And so I just think that that's really, really cool. And kind of a, uh, I have a, uh, I have a, a cool couple of degrees of separation away from Steely Dan, which is a really cool thought to have. So he played on, um, he played on pretzel logic and he played on several things on Asia as well. I believe he plays the piano parts on the title track Asia, which coincidentally is the fifth song in this set Asia. And that's spelled a J a. I used to always pronounce it as Asia and I, felt really stupid when I found out it's just Asia just spelled in a really beautiful way this is the longest song that Steely Dan ever recorded it's an eight minute track but man is definitely one of their most interesting it's probably also the most complex song that they have ever recorded but they said that for that album it was actually the one that they were able to record the quickest and was one of the easiest ones to um, to nab on tape. And that's mainly because they got the right band for that song. They've, they've got their, um, their longtime collaborator, Danny Diaz, playing the guitar solo on it. And they were able to get Steve Gadd to play the drums. And Steve Gadd is one of the absolute greatest drummers to ever play. And he was able to sight read all of his music. And so he was able to record his parts in just two takes. And that includes three incredible legendary drum solos. 
Uh, I remember the first time I heard this song and hearing those drum solos, I was just floored. And it continues to floor me every time that I hear it. Um, So if you've never heard the song Asia and you're listening, find it on my Spotify playlist or whatever streaming service you use. Listen to Asia. Listen to those drums. Man, it'll blow your mind. They're so good, so crisp, and it just it helps so much that the recording quality that they have on the drums is just amazing, immaculate. Um, Asia is a song that I never really listened to much until very recently. And when I say very recently, I mean when I started to compile the songs for this list uh, a little while back. And I was just like, oh, I've heard this song once before, I think. Let me listen to it again. And I kind of was just like, oh my gosh, why have I not been listening to this song all along? Asia, I think, is probably just like their musical masterpiece. The the song that their entire career built to and is the perfect encapsulation of what they're capable of. And I I thought it would be really cool to have kind of that be in the second to last spot because it's like you have like this um this great musical achievement and then I wanted to end with something to kind of just like almost like ride off into the sunset with. And that song I felt had to be reeling in the years. Reeling in the Years was the other big hit that they had off their very first album. And I would say is their most recognizable song. If anyone's going to know one Steely Dan song, it's going to be Reeling in the Years. It's got such an iconic chorus. And that opening guitar solo, which Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin has said is one of his all-time favorite solos. And has been uh, given accolade after accolade from guitar magazines and um, websites just as one of the best classic rock guitar solos. You hear it, you instantly recognize it. It's such a sing-songy guitar solo. And he's got two other guitar solos that are almost as good. But that first guitar solo, man, it's it's just it's one of the best solos ever put to tape. Donald Fagan is actually not a very big fan of the song. He's went on saying that it's dumb but effective. Pretty much just saying that, you know, it's not at the level that they would eventually get to. It's not a very sophisticated song. It's very much a more straightforward rock and roll song. It doesn't have all of the jazz flourishes that Steely Dan would be known for. But he is he's right. It's effective. The chorus is catchy. The um, the song is just concise. It's simple. The structure, you understand it. And there's a reason why it's continued to be played on rock radio today. It's dumb but effective, although I personally don't think it's dumb. I think that it's a great, great, great rock track. And so, yeah, that's, that is our set. We have Do It Again, um, Hey 19, Peg, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, Asia, and Reelin' In The Years. Those are our six songs that we're picking from Steely Dan this week. And then let's go ahead and jump over to our bonus song. That bonus song is IGY, What a Beautiful World by uh, Donald Fagan, which was from his debut solo album, The Nightfly. This was an album my dad turned me on to 
uh, quite a while back, and I didn't really listen to it whenever I got it, but I remember him always saying, oh, this is such a great album, you need to listen to it. And honestly, I still really haven't uh, listened to it. Um, But I was listening to the song in preparation for putting it on the list, and I really, really like it. And it's making me want to kind of listen to that whole album and kind of, you know, finally listen to his advice and listen to The Nightfly. So I'm going to give you advice to listen to The Nightfly, even though I've never myself listened to it. But hey, that's that's the whole point of this is we're on this journey together. IGY stands for the International Geophysical Year. It was uh, something that went from 1957 to 1958. And pretty much the whole point of this song is that Donald Fagan is critiquing post-World War II optimism and a lot of the crazy ideas people had about the future, um, saying specifically that during this time people were talking about flying cars and geothermal floating cities and just kind of all of the all of the stereotypical stuff that you would see in like 50s, 60s, and 70s science fiction whenever people would like project what the future would look like and it, and it just looks like this crazy like you know, floating cities, flying cars, everyone's wearing, like, matching tinfoil jumpsuits and, you know, these crazy-looking robots walking around, just how everyone thought the future would be, and Donald Fagan's pretty much just making fun of us. just like, there's no way that the future could ever look like this. Um, and, I mean, it just, you know, it wouldn't be a Donald Fagan song without him kind of throwing in his um, his piss and vinegar in there. But um, the song just has a really smooth feel. Again, it's just he's carried over that that dichotomy of um, pessimistic and dark lyrics with just really smooth pop music. And um, the synthesizer solo that he plays, it uses the same sound as Hey 19. And I think that it's even better on this song. It's got that shuffle beat behind it and... It just, it sings. It's just so crisp and so beautiful. Um, I, I really, really am glad that I uh, looked up this song to put for the bonus song because I'm definitely going to be checking out what else he has on this album. And so there it is. We've got the six songs. We've got IGY, What a Beautiful World by Donald Fagan. And uh, those are the songs. So... Uh, We'll be back right here in a moment, and we are going to wrap things up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we are wrapping up this uh, fourth episode on Steely Dan. Again, just to recap, the uh, songs that we picked for this week are Do It Again, Hey 19, Peg, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, Asia, uh, and Reeling in the Ears with the bonus song being IGY, What a Beautiful World by Donald Fagan. So uh, thank you so much for listening. These songs are all on our Spotify playlist. Again, just find Lucas Chrisman. Give me a follow. Go to the 
Good Music Podcast Edition playlist. Give it a follow as well. You'll find all the songs in their correct order there, as well as the songs from previous episodes if you have not checked those out before. And uh, again, wherever you're listening to, hit the subscribe button so that way you know when the next episode is available. Um, Continue to uh, tune in. We have, uh, I've got a really, really fun episode next week, and I'm going to be doing a lot of new things, but I'm going to be delving into the Beatles next week, so that's something that you definitely do not want to miss. Let everyone know, and uh, thank you so, so much again for listening. I'm really excited to see where this podcast is going to go, and... um, just really excited to see what all is going to happen. So until next time, continue to discover and listen to good music. This is Lucas. Thank you so much for listening.